step up, take control of your business, and decide to be your very best as a leader right now. Hello, everybody. This is Mike Payton with the Lead Now podcast. And today I'm excited to introduce you to Jimmy Rayford, the CEO of Dealers Wholesale. Uh, Dealers Wholesale is Indianapolis's leading provider of corporate and home wholesale construction supplies. Jimmy's extensive leadership experience as a former CCO, president, and senior vice president of business development and strategic marketing sets him apart as an uncommonly disciplined and focused executive who delivers sustainable results. He's a member of the Young Presidents Organization, a board member of TCC Gives, and the vice chairman of the Black Alumni Board at Notre Dame University. Jimmy, welcome to the show. Thanks for being here today. Thanks, Peyton. It's my pleasure. Yeah, great. Uh, Start by giving me a little two-minute history of your leadership journey up to and including your role here at Dealers Wholesale. Yeah, sure. My first foray into leadership, if I go way, way back when, was in high school sports, a fun fact, I was the first non-senior captain of our high school football team. Uh-huh. So as a as a junior, I was the first non-senior. So I think that was kind of my first foray into leadership. What high school? Oh, thank you for asking. Whitmire High School in Whitmire, South Carolina, home of the Wolverines. I thought that I noticed not an Indianapolis accent, Jimmy. <laughs> yes, <isn't there? laughs> and then kind of from there, started my career out as a uh, engineer with IBM, and and after a um, a few years with IBM, I became a, a supervisor of uh, technicians and direct labor which was a a really awesome first assignment for me. Kind of went from there to eventually managing the engineering team at IBM and San Mena SEI. It was a team of about 20 industrial manufacturing and test engineers. The interesting thing there was I went from being, I managed a group that I used to be a part of. Mm. Uh, That was unique and uh, fun, but some challenges in that as well. And I'm going to, I'm going to make a note and make sure we come back to that a little bit later. So thanks for sharing that. Yep. And then from there, I became a plant manager or director of operations for Danaher Corporation in in Mm. Westchester, Pennsylvania. The interesting thing about that was pick a a Southern kid and and stick him in Westchester, Pennsylvania, which is about 45 minutes south of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. And let's say we, there's some cultural differences <laughs> I had to, uh, Just, I had to work through there. Well, especially in a manufacturing plant, right? Exactly. Union plant Union as plant. well. Yeah. From there, I actually came out of management. So I had been pretty much operations my whole career. So I went and did some marketing roles, went back and got my uh, MBA from Notre Dame, all prepping me for my first general manager's position. I was division president for a division for Belden Corporation. Did that for different division presidents role at Belden for a couple of years. And then I wanted to get a taste of the world outside of large public companies. So I joined Strategic Materials Glass Recycling Company based in Houston, led their sales team. uh, And then I joined Dealers Wholesale in January of this year as CEO. Mm, Cool. Where'd you go to undergrad? Clemson. At Clemson. So you're going to be a very interested observer Saturday evening, if I'm not mistaken. Don't Clemson and Notre Dame play each other this weekend? Yeah, we do. We do. And uh, I'll irritate all of my my Notre Dame brethren by saying 
Uh, it's a pretty easy call for me on on, <laughs> on my, my rooting interest on Saturday. Yeah, well, uh, you're an engineer, so if you're looking at the odds, I think you're uh, the smart money. I don't know. We got our we got our quarterback out with COVID. We got a few other uh, key players out on defense. I'm I'm a little nervous. Yeah, well, so I'm an Ohio State guy, so I'm nervous. Oh, no, I'm, oh, oh. I'm no, yeah. Sorry about that. I'm nervous no matter what. <laughs> I think you're the smart money. Let's just leave it at that. Tell me about the first time in your life you saw someone lead or the idea of leadership became clear to you. What was the situation? Who was the leader? And what did you see in them that made you understand that leading was going on? You know, that's an interesting question. I I can't say I've thought about that a lot, but I've been pondering it. And I grew up around a lot of women. I'm a mama's boy, right? So I grew up, you know, at my mom's feet. Uh, spent a lot of time at my grandparents' home with both my grandmother and my and my grandfather. So I don't know if it was if I thought about it that way at the time, but really just seeing leadership almost through the lens of those women and how it had to take on almost a quiet leadership. So it was less about being vocal. And uh, you know, pounding your chest and saying you you are the leader, and more about your actions and getting things done, and kind of being the the glue that kind of holds everything together. So I probably think about it that way. Mm. Oh, what a great answer! Ah, I got chills thinking about that. What about in sports or in business? What, what your first recollection of watching someone lead? What was that? What did that feel like? I think in sports, this was probably my freshman year in high school. I was in the junior varsity team, and our varsity team that year was outstanding team, probably one of the best teams we've ever had in the history of the school. We were a very, very small 1A school, and what I saw in that team was really shared leadership. All the guys had grown up together. I mean, they operated as as a single unit, like like no team that I had ever seen up close and personal. And it was really shared leadership with a high degree of accountability. So no no one person stood uh, above the rest, and they really held each other accountable. So mm. just that level of accountability that I saw from that squad stuck with me. Yeah, it is sure easier to be a leader amongst leaders who take personal responsibility and aren't afraid to challenge one another when things aren't going well, which takes an awful lot of pressure off the real leader of the organization when we're all accountable. That's a great, great comment. Bring us up to speed with your, you know, you've had the luxury of working in some very big sort of corporate organizations as well as entrepreneurial companies. So first of all, I'd love you to describe Dealers Wholesale to us so the listener really gets a handle on the company you're running now. And then I'll ask you some questions about how you lead in that vibrant entrepreneurial company versus what you've seen in corporations. Yes, so Dealers Wholesale, we've been around since 1963. We are a company of around 75 employees up until uh, four years ago, it was a family-owned company and then was, was purchased by private equity owners, Firefly, about four years ago. So they kind of 
have already gone from that trans- that transition from being family owned to PE owned. And then obviously we went through the transition with me earlier this year, kind of taking over in the leadership capacity. Uh, we are a mixture of in-house kind of direct labor, assembly people, um, warehousing operations. Uh, we have quite a external force as well in terms of our installers, uh, drivers and service folks, and then more of, you know, traditional project managers, accounting, estimator sales, uh, front office team. Hmm. And what, what's your typical week look like as the CEO of that organization? In terms of yeah, what do you what do you what do you do? How do you spend your days and hours in it? If there is such a thing as a typical week, what yeah. might it consist of? I think one of the things that I like about this organization and this size company is that the uh, the variety that I get in a typical week. We have and, and operate off a pretty good structure. So you know, I have you know hour and a half staff meeting. On Wednesday, an hour and a half staff meeting on, on Thursday because I'm, I'm sitting in, a, in an acting role within the organization mm-hmm. as well. I spend quite a bit of time, a one-on-one time with all of my direct reports. So I have a same page meeting with all of my direct reports on a weekly basis so we can get that one-on-one time to make sure that we're aligned. I also, and this is an area where I kind of have to try to make sure that I'm balanced. I try to spend as much time out in production as possible. Um, I'm self-critical on that one because I think I, I should be, I can do a better job at that. But I spend a lot of my time really on the alignment piece, hmm. uh, making sure that the organization is aligned around our priorities. If there's big obstacles standing in people's way, making sure that I can work with them to remove those obstacles is, is how I spend a great deal of my time. Hmm. Let's talk about alignment a little bit. That's a word a lot of leaders throw around. And I always want to ask a follow-up question, which is what does alignment mean to you and how do you make sure it's there? I think alignment for me is shared priorities. It's being on the same page on what the priorities of the individual, of the department, of the division, of the of the company, mm-hmm. and having everyone in the company aligned or, or on the same page with those priorities. And the way I seek to make sure that we have it is, first of all, be be vocal about it, right? Don't keep it a secret, yep. right? Yeah. So so let's just give it some put air it out there. Yeah. Give it some air. Make it visible. And then I use a lot of my same page meetings almost as a constant checkpoint on the alignment and then having good scorecards um, so that we can measure our progress. All right. And then, you know, your experience here in in an organization with 75 people and then you've worked for, for some really big organizations. Have you seen there's a difference between the way leadership and management works in a big company versus an entrepreneurial company? Depending on the culture of a bigger company, I think in a bigger company, it's just more opportunities to hide out <laughs> a, little, a little. I mean, you can skate for a long time before it catches up to you. In a small organization like ours, you're pulling your weight and not getting the things done that you need to get done. It's not going to take a, a lot of time for that to rise to the surface. So so that side, I mean, just the ability to quickly make an impact on the bottom line of the organization is where I see the big difference. Yeah. Back to your journey, do you 
sense that from an early age you always knew you were going to be a leader and you've been intentional about that? Or is it something that just kind of happened to you and you woke up one day and here you are leading and you needed to get good at that? I think it kind of happened to me. I was somewhat of a, of a late bloomer, I think, <laughs> when it comes to uh, leadership, primarily because as a child, I was unbelievably shy as a, mm. as a child, just extremely introverted, so much so that, that what happens a lot of time with introverted and shy kids that people will attach intelligence. Mm. intelligence um, to that in a, in a negative way. So mm -hmm. it took me, you know, a lot of years to kind of break out of that shell and think I, I was always self-confident kind of from an inwardly, inwardly standpoint. So there was always a, a fire in the belly, but it, it, it took, you know, a little bit of time for me to be a little more outward in, in showing that and being a little more vocal. So it was a gradual thing for me for sure. What did you do or what happened that helped you gradually become more vocal about your leadership style? I think a part of it is I think the more the more accomplished you get in some ways the easier it becomes. When I went from high school and I, and I always, you know, did well academically, but you know, we, it was a really small small high school so I would have never admitted at the time, but in the back of my mind, I'm sure there was a seed of when I go to Clemson and my freshman chemistry class is larger than my entire high school, do I really have the stuff? Yeah. Right. And I would say, you know, in undergrad, kind of once I got my feet underneath me and kind of settled in and really started doing well academically and that just started building up that confidence mm -hmm. more and more and, and kind of start also allowing me to be maybe more of a risk taker than I was early on. And it just kind of started building on top of that. Yeah, that, that fear of being wrong or failing in front of a group of people you don't know particularly well is a powerful demotivator for people standing up and, and advocating for themselves for sure. So uh, when you get past that fear, some good stuff can happen. For sure. Yep, absolutely. Tell me about the best leader you ever worked for or with. I think the best leader I worked for is actually a pretty interesting story because I've worked off and on with him and for him for probably 20 years. Hmm. So uh, I first started working for him in 1998 six months out of college, mm. I joined the organization, a division at IBM that unbeknownst to me was about to get sold. Mm. So I, I had a great first man, manager, a guy by the name of Mark, who felt you know terrible about putting me in that position. So he arranged for me to have, you know, a full day of interviews in Research Triangle Park, North Carolina with, you know, seven managers. And over the course of that day, an eighth manager got added to the list. And he was the last person I spoke to uh, that day, a guy by the name of Dennis. And Dennis was the only one that made me an offer. Hmm. And I started working with him at in IBM for 1998 and um, worked with him off and on for, for 20 years. Hmm. So I got to see Dennis over that 20 year stretch and the level of consistency hmm. um, that I saw for him over that 20 years was amazing. So what was great, my things I took away from Dennis was he was, first of all, he was really about results. 
in terms of, of achieving results and staying true to your commitment. But he was also really heavy on the, on the people side, investing in people, promoting people. So Dennis was the type of person where, you know, when I had opportunities that led me to, to leave the company that we may have been at together, I always felt comfortable with being able to have those conversations mm -hmm. with him because at the end of the day, his concern for me was at a higher level than what I happened to be giving, providing to that organization. So he would always kind of give me advice and, and counsel coming from what, what he thought was best for me and not best for mm -hmm. himself. Because in some ways, and sometimes, you know, I, I kind of left him stranded. Um, so I think that that balance of being really hardcore results focused, but also being invested in the people is something that I took away from him. Well, it sounds like he made you feel like he genuinely cared about you. 100%. And so what was the stuff he did? Because this is what our listener needs to hear as regularly as we can repeat this. What are the things Dennis was doing that made you feel that way? I think it was he allowed me growth opportunities, mm. right? Because there's always, there's sometimes this thought on whether or not you believe you're ready for something or someone else believes you're ready for something. And there's a part of me that says, you know, I don't know if anybody's ready for anything new until they do it. Uh, and it's the difference between being ready and being prepared, mm. right? So oftentimes I wasn't ready, but I, but I think I was prepared. And Dennis was always allowed me to have those, those growth opportunities, which in many ways were, were opportunities to fail and learn from those failures. He pushed me quite a bit. So, I mean, you could, after Dennis and I had worked for 15 years together, you could come to a meeting and, and you would think that, man, Dennis didn't really like this Jimmy guy a whole lot. <laughs> so, uh, so he didn't let me off the hook and he right. didn't allow our relationship to let me off the hook. So he, he gave me growth opportunities, but at the same time, he held me um, accountable and we you know, kind of developed, you know, improvement plans together. Well, it sounds like he was really good at both building your confidence in trying something new and kicking your butt when that would push you beyond your comfort zone as well to, to help you accomplish more than maybe you thought was possible or were able to do on your own. Is that fair? That's very fair. I've yeah. had uh, plenty of sleepless nights before a, uh, before an operations review with Dennis the next day. Yeah, yeah. And, 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 and to, to imbue in you the caring of his opinion, I, I, I speak to a lot of people who are not satisfied with their leaders or managers. And one of the things they'll say is, I don't really care what his or her opinion is. And so in making the people that report to you feel like their job is doing work that's as good or better than they expect is a really powerful leadership attribute for sure. Yeah, absolutely. What, what, let's ex examine the flip side of the coin, because I'm guessing in your career, you've seen some less than stellar leaders and managers too. Without revealing names, if you prefer not to, give us a story about the worst leader you've ever seen or the worst kind of leadership behavior you've observed. You know, I was thinking about this one pretty, pretty hard. And I've actually been very fortunate throughout my career that I've had really good leaders. So I think probably more so than the worst leader, I would say probably maybe the uh, worst leadership moment stands out to me from a guy that, that I actually believe was a pretty good leader, but I think it was, it was a bad moment. So 
I had resigned from one company and was going to uh, to a new company, and, and I had a meeting with my uh, second line manager. And and at this point in time, there was tension between these two companies because it was one of those things where you know a big executive had gone from one company, and all of a sudden you start seeing people drift over. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, so because I knew there was quite a bit of a tension tension, I didn't want to really get drawn into it. When I resigned, I didn't say, you know, where I was going, but I think, I mean, clearly people knew that I was going to join the the other organization. So he called me into his office and I figured, you know, this is just going to be a hate to see you go and, and, but I wish you the best of luck meeting. So I'm kind of prepared, you know, for that. And um, he was unbelievably angry Mm. and, and kind of, almost demanded for me to to tell him where I was going and, and who I was going to work for, right? Kind of, you know, slapping hands on the table. And at one point in the meeting, you know, we both stood up, you know, we were, we were voices raised kind wow. of back and forth to each other. And he chalked it up as just being passionate about people. And I can see that, but I think, you know, if I were him, the way I would have handled it differently is, is you know, if you care about someone and someone has come to the determination that they have an, an opportunity outside of the organization that they want to uh, pursue, you should yeah. honor that. Yeah. That's kind of when, when how I got in the calm down in the meeting. I basically said that, you know, with all the blood, sweat and tears I put in this organization for me to leave, you must know that I really believe that this this other opportunity is, is one that I want to pursue. So I think that was just one where he put, you know, maybe his interest in the interest of the company and maybe the competition between the two organizations at a higher level than my own personal interest. Well, it sounds like he took your leaving personally and that manifested itself in him not showing up as his best self that day. That, yeah. that that's what you mean by not a great leadership moment. And that, that's a very common theme on the show is when it's about you, you're not leading and managing as well as you could be if it were about the team or the, the people that work for you. So good lesson to remember there. I've carried that one forward in just a week and a half ago. I, I got put in a similar position on the other side of the table where the finance leader for our organization, you know, basically you know, resigned to to go pursue something that he thought was a, you know, cannot pass it down opportunity. So, you know, my immediate reaction is if you're excited, I'm excited. I'm excited for you. Mm. We'll figure out, you know, how to find a, a great replacement for you. But, you know, I celebrate you and congratulate you on the, on the opportunity. Yeah. Good for you. And, and again, isn't that what a leadership is, is taking learning moments in your life that maybe you didn't handle as well as you'd like or other people didn't and turning them into improved behaviors yourself. I want to go back to something you mentioned earlier because a lot of listeners tuning into Lead Now, wanting to be better leaders and managers are in the early stages of their management careers. And in your first leadership role, you're often leading and managing a group of people that used to be your peers. And, and it's ironic because that transition is probably one of the hardest transitions you'll ever need to make as a leader or manager. And you mentioned that earlier. So tell us about your experience being promoted from a group of peers and all of a sudden having to having to manage them instead of be their colleague. You know, it ended up being one of my best experiences because it was a really good team. We were all kind of, for the most part, you know, 
younger engineers in our in our career. So we had a a pretty good work hard, play hard mentality and had some had some great relationships. I think when I look back on it, the thing that was most important for me was was authenticity. I mean, so these these folks had been around me for, you know, years in some cases. So, you know, for me to get a new assignment and in the first day kind of show up in the office as a brand new different person just because I had gotten a title would have been the absolute wrong thing to do. So mm-hmm. I think just continuing to be authentic in my personality and in my style didn't give them a reason to 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 treat me any differently. So it's a little bit of threading of the needle, right? So, you know, I had to learn that, you know, in that capacity, you know, I couldn't go to everything, you know, if we went out, you know, I I couldn't be the last one to close it down. So just kind of recognizing what those subtle boundaries <laughs> yeah. boundaries are became important. Yeah. Did you have any moments where where you started getting sucked into complaining about the man and realized you were the man? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. exactly. Oh, sure. Hey, they're talking about me. Talking about Wait a minute. <laughs> exactly. And people start talking about management, right? And yeah. You are you're part of this black box called management. <laughs> Tell me about. TCC gives. Tell me about the organization, your role there, and and why it fills your soul. So I'm on the board of TCC gives, and what we essentially do is we provide cell phones to abuse survivors. Mm-hmm. So domestic abuse survivors, oftentimes the phone becomes control tool for the for the abuser. They they kind of give it and take it away and use it mm-hmm. as a, a tracking mechanism. We partner with shelters and other organizations to provide mobile phones to survivors. Mm. That's great work. That's great work. How long have you been affiliated with the organization? A little less than a year, so it's, it's still pretty new. Yeah. Cheers to you and that group of humans doing vital work for the community. How about your role at Notre Dame? So this was a interesting one because I think with everything that's, that's happening in society right now and on the topics of diversity, inclusion, and, and equity, it's a very active time for the uh, for the board. So we're, we're doing everything, recruitment efforts and, and putting more energy and, and initiatives around trying to uh, recruit Black students to come to Notre Dame. I'm on one of the big pieces of work that I've been doing right now is with the Fraser Thompson Scholarship. So it's a, um, it's a scholarship program and we have, you know, four grants and we're coming out with three different scholarships and just working with the alumni and working with the administration to make sure that those scholarships kind of meet the legal requirements in terms of, of how we select recipients. And now we've gotten that done. Now it's more about promoting the scholarship. And then we're also now we're starting to work on trying to also kind of bring the alumni together and, and still, you know, explore ways to build that community even further. So it's quite a bit of work that we've taken on as a, as a board, but um, it's really uh, fulfilling. Well, there's a lot of work to do, regrettably, in this area. For those of us who want to contribute to that effort and make a difference positively to create equal opportunities for all. What do you think leaders who want to help and aren't sure where to start need to do? You know, 
this has been a consistent question I feel like I get asked a lot these days, and I'm, I'm, I'm appreciative of the question. I think the first thing is, I think we all know that let's just start with action, right? I mean, it's a target-rich environment, as, <laughs> as, as mm. they say. So I think uh, there's a tendency to spend so much time discussing the perfect way and the and the philosophy of how to spend it, time and spend the energy and not enough time on just making mm. concrete and, and direct action. I mean, there's a thousand organizations out there to be to be partnered with. I was an inroads intern. Uh, inroads mm. is a is an organization that provides training and, and scholarships for minority students. So I ended up interning with IBM for, for two summers and IBM hired me full time after I graduated from Clemson. So, you know, sponsor an inroads intern. There's a thousand different ways. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is is just taking a bias for action and doing something. Quit talking, quit posting on social media and go do something. That's it. Yeah, I love it, Jimmy. Ugh, that's so good. So, so good. All right, last question for you before we formally wrap up. What an amazing leadership journey. I appreciate you sharing that with me with no holding back. I want you to go back to the very first opportunities you had to lead and remember how weird that felt, how scary it was. And and to the leader listening that wants to show up as his or her best self every single day, what's the single most important advice you think they need to hear? People first. Hmm. If you put your people first, if you position your people and do everything you can do to set them up for success and invest in them. I mean, you'll, you'll build a team that you have to hold back. So for me and my style and this style doesn't, it doesn't work for everyone. So I think the first thing you got to do is, is maybe be authentic. I mean, I would rather work for an authentic jerk than a fake nice guy any day of the week. Yeah. So, but for me, it's people first. Yeah, thank you. I couldn't say it any better myself. Jimmy, you've been most generous with your time. Your insights are super valuable and you're a very interesting human being. And I appreciate the opportunity to get to know you more. I also know you've fulfilled our obligation, which is to help make leaders better every single day. That's what the Lead Now podcast is all about. So, before we let you go, tell the listener who wants to learn more about Dealers Wholesale, you or the causes that you care so deeply about, where should they go to learn more? I think you can go to our website, dealerswholesale.com. Uh, you can check out my, uh, my LinkedIn. I, I list you know, all the places that I volunteer on my LinkedIn page. And I'm relatively active on LinkedIn, so I would invite anybody just to uh, connect and love to have a conversation. Awesome. Thank you again. What a great pleasure. Thanks, if you're interested in applying what you've learned today in your own business, the five books in the Traction Library can be helpful resources on your journey. You can learn more about those five books and actually order them at a deep discount by visiting eosworldwide.com.